Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on the movie Music and Lyrics with Slate's music critic, Jody Rosen. Hi, Jody. Hi, Dana. If you have never listened to a spoiler before, you should know that uh, this podcast will give away some secrets of the movie Music and Lyrics. So if you're planning on seeing the movie and you don't want anything given away from this incredibly unpredictable romantic comedy, you have no idea who will end up with whom, then, uh, then you might want to wait to listen to this podcast till you've seen the movie. Okay, Jody, um, let's begin. You just walked out of this movie moments ago, and um, you were raving when you just walked into the studio. So can you just give me a quick overview reaction to the movie? Love the music. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was sort of the beginning and end of it for me. I mean, the the film itself was, you know, entirely predictable, as these, as these romantic comedies are. And I tend to secretly like romantic comedies, you know. The oh, me that, too. I have a huge yeah. soft spot. I think my regular readers have probably figured out that I have a very high tolerance for romantic comedy. Right. I mean, when it gets it right. When it gets it right. And, and, like, you know, the texture kind of has to be right. And, I mean, everyone, when reviewing these kinds of movies, always talks about the, the sort of chemistry or lack thereof between the leads. And, I, frankly, in this movie, you know, the kind of Hugh Grant... Drew Barrymore chemistry was sort of there, sort of not, sort of not there. I mean, and, and it didn't really matter to me so much because I was caught up in the momentum of the plot around the composition of this one song. Okay, well, let's talk just quickly about the plot so we can talk about how, you know, the songwriting and the falling in love story kind of weave into one another, which I think is, is the strongest point of this movie. Like you say, the music is really strong, but it's not as if the music is just these nuggets that are thrown randomly into a bad story. It's really the music that brings the story together and brings it its highest moment. So let's talk about what happens in the movie. Hugh Grant is a washed-up 80s songwriter, Right. right. I think vaguely, loosely based on Andrew Ridgely, who was the, the other guy, the non-George Michael guy in Wham. He's clearly the other guy in Pop! Exclamation point, which is the name of the 80s washed-up group that he, he, he belonged to. Um, and why is he the Andrew Ridgely guy? Just because he's the second he's, yeah, most he, featured performer? He's the second. You know, Wham! was a duo. Pop! is a duo. And um, Did George Michael write the lyrics and Andrew Ridgely wrote the music? That I don't know. So in, in this particular duo, Hugh Grant was the composer of music. The other guy was the lyricist. And since their breakup decades ago, uh, Hugh Grant's career has gone downhill because he can't write words. He can only write music. Right. Whereas his, his former partner became the biggest pop star in the world and a pinup and everything like that. Right. Who you never actually see in the movie except in sort of performance, performance videos right. and old, things like that. Right. Old video clips from the 80s, which are very funny. So as we begin the movie, after a, ve- a very funny kind of fake pop video from, from Hugh Grant's golden days, uh, we see him on the downslide of his career, performing on this sort of um, country fair circuit and things like that. And then he gets an offer to write a song, to, to essentially has a song commissioned by a pop princess diva who seems to be loosely based on Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, exactly. Shakira, maybe. Exactly, that type. Um, definitely not Shakira, but definitely Brittany, Christina, that sort of thing. I just thought maybe some of her, you know, some of her well, dance moves. Definitely some of her moves, yeah. Definitely the, the uh, there was a lot of booty shaking. In fact, I think what her her big hit, the one they showed first, was called Welcome to Booty Town. <laughs> right. She's a very funny character because they, they really get, I think, um, it's a very sort of spot-on satire of the, you know, modern pop diva to the extent that this this girl is incredibly sort of steely and focused about her career. She's very much a sort of sex pot in her dance moves and her image, but she's also got this, you know, overlay of faux spirituality. I think they were kind of nodding to the whole Kabbalah thing 
you know, with her, but in her case, she's into this, you know, vaguely Buddhist iconography. And right, like, and there's a big there's Buddhist guitars in all her psalms, yeah. A giant Buddha in Madison Square Garden to kind of cap off the, the last um, performance sequence. So just just to quickly summarize sure. the rest of the plot. So, so Hugh is stuck on this song, right? He's utterly blocked. He's got some melodic ideas, but no lyrical ideas at all. And then, lo and behold, in a classic and not very well-done romantic comedy meet-cute kind of scene, Drew Barrymore walks into his life and starts mumbling randomly some halfway decent lyrics to this song that he's writing, right? And the rest of the movie is them, you know, slowly falling in love as they write this song together under extreme pressure because they only have a few days to complete the the demo tape of the song, right? So... What what was it about this this movie that I think we both agree that was sort of unusual in its use of, of pop songwriting? Well, the single most important thing is that they got the right songwriter. They got this guy, Adam Schlesinger, who plays in two good New York-based bands. One is Ivy, who are kind of um, vaguely sort of lounge poppy, pop band, sort of 60s, Burt Bacharach-y type band with a little bossa nova thrown in. And then he plays in this band, Fountains of Wayne, who are, you know, power pop greats. And he's a, he's a very, very skilled songwriter, and he's demonstrated elsewhere that he's sort of a master of pop song forms. So he's, on, you know, his various albums, he's done songs that are sound like, you know, sort of 60s brill building pastiches, and he's done 80s sounding songs, and, you know, he had a big hit called Stacy's Mom, which was vaguely new wave, sounded a little bit like the Cars. So he's able to, he's just got a knack for sort of encyclopedic in his knowledge of that, of, of pop music. He's also the guy who wrote the song, the theme song to the movie, That Thing You Do. The song that's kind of the one that Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore are writing throughout the movie is this song called Way Back Into Love, which, you know, when they start out, you think it's going to be this kind of innocuous song. You know, they're given the title phrase. They have Does that ever happen in, in real life? Would somebody commission a song, a famous star, and say it has to be titled X? That seemed odd to me. It, I think it is odd, although, you know, might happen. I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was a little odd, but um, be that as it may, they pulled it off, and they, or Adam Schlesinger pulled it off. This song is so wonderfully tuneful. The lyrics are actually great. It's sort of one of these songs that sounds like it's timeless because the, everything in it is almost a cliche, but not quite. You know, the melody is, you know, is catchy in a familiar way, but sort of has something that's special and unique. And the same is true of the lyric. The lyric, you know, the lyrics are all, you know, in a, in a certain sense sort of generic. I can't ch- quote them now. I wish I could. But they're, but none of them are precisely sort of cliches. He's not talking about fire and desire or whatever. So for uh, for that reason, I thought, you know, the song was just very affecting. And and the momentum of the film is you, you kind of see and hear the, the, the composition of this song as as the film moves along. It's only in the last scene, which, which you know, of course, is the scene where the couple finally overcome everything and come together and start making out that the entire song is sort of revealed. And I think that was what, for me, really moved the film along and propelled me through it. I was, I was, just, I was excited to hear the whole song. And that, I thought, was kind of unique because, of course, you know what's, what's coming plot-wise. Yeah, the, the remarkable thing to me about, I think, the slow emergence of this song throughout the entire movie is that the movie really was about the composition of one song. And it's not that often that, you know, there's a lot of movies about people making art together, uh, or not necessarily together, about solo artists producing work as well. And they're not usually about the production of just one work, just one little three-minute song. And I like the kind of patience and the attention to craft, you know, that the, the movie had in that sense. It's also interesting that you couldn't quite decide how much you liked the song until the end of the movie. I kept sort of going back and forth thinking, like, 
you know, is this song cliched? Is it catchy? Is it corny? And you're right that I think you're supposed to have a little bit that ambivalence because the characters themselves are struggling with the lyrics and the music and, and trying to get it right. So if it was something that just popped right off the assembly line sounding, you know, perfectly catchy and, and tuneful, then it wouldn't be a movie about the struggle of creating it. Right. And the other thing that I thought was kind of affecting about this movie, be, you know, again, because it's so formulaic, there has to be something else going on. And, what, and I thought this this movie was really advocating for pop was making it was making a case for the kind of majesty of simple pop songs in fact there's a moment where Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore are you know out at coffee or whatever and he says to her you know there's no novel in the world which has ever made anyone feel as good as fast as a great pop song and you he know, sings a little bit of a Smokey Robinson song a, right there. exactly right my girl and I think that he's right and what's kind of neat about that is the song is you know an intensely romantic kind of longing pop song like the song in this movie Way Back Into Love is not unlike a romantic comedy so there's a sort of meta point being made there I think about sort of seemingly formulaic mass entertainment you know what I mean in a way in advocating for pop songs the film is also advocating for dumb for advocating for dumb pop songs it's also advocating for you know, dumb romantic comedies yeah, I hadn't thought of it in terms of advocacy. That's really interesting, or the allegory between the two. But there's no question in my mind that it's a, it's a it's a pro pop movie. And there's even moments when Drew Barrymore's character rises to the defense of pop. There's a moment that he grants a little bit ashamed. He's going to play at this country fair, and he feels sort of like you know it's it's a humiliating performance. And she pulls him aside, remember, and says, "You should be proud of these songs. They're good work, and you should be proud to have sung them and to to write them." And and that's that's a really nice scene. But I hadn't thought about the fact that yeah, I mean, essentially, you have to have a high tolerance for romantic com- comedy, and you have to you know be a fan of pop music and have respect for it, I think, to right. get from this movie what it what it wants you to get. And I'm glad that you're out there saying that and advocating for that, because I've noticed now that the critical response to this movie, after I wrote my review, I started to look at some reviews, and I just, I feel like there's a lot of sort of um, demeaning of pop music <laughs> in the way that this movie's being talked about. Like, oh, these songs are silly trifles, sure they're catchy, but this movie's very shallow. And uh, it seems to me that this movie's a little bit of a, a celebration of the pleasure of, of pop forms, and, and, and also an example of the pleasure that romantic comedy can bring, imperfectly formed as this movie may end up being. Right, you know, and it's interesting because the last time we did one of these podcasts, we were talking about Dreamgirls, which of course has should, the opposite problem, right, right? And it should prove the uh, prove this movie's point, if in fact it's you know making a polemical point, which is that it's not easy to write a great pop song. You know, Dreamgirls had a dozen more songs than were in this film, and not one of them was catchy or memorable. You and know, of course, Dreamgirls is also about musicians creating music that they're really excited about. Hey, you've got to hear my new song. Come into the studio. And there's a real problem watching that movie because there's a complete disconnect between how psyched the characters are about the songs and how psyched the audience is to hear right, them. Right, which was what was so great and believable about the payoff in this film because the song itself is it's so clearly a great song. You know, like the money moment in this film would not have worked if it was a crappy song, which so often is the case. You know, maybe next time we catch a music movie together, you know, it'll really bring the two together and we'll see a great movie <laughs> with great music. That's next on the list, has, right? has, Have there ever been one of those? Maybe Top Hat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks for, uh, for joining me in the studio, Jody. And uh, should we hum a little bit of the song to close uh, out? I don't think we want to do that. <laughs> I think that might ruin everything by the soundtrack. <laughs> All right. Uh, for Slate.com, this is Dana Stevens. All I want to do is find a Hey, 
Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.